Hey there, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Stephen and Company here on the Stephen Perkins Program. So happy that you decided to join us once again this week. Um, as I've been saying before, this this series is beginning to end, right? September's coming up, and we're only going to go a couple of weeks into September. The summer is coming to an end. Not that Texas got the memo because it's only getting hotter. But other than that, the summer's coming to an end. Our summer series is coming to an end. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. If you want to listen to the past episodes that we have done in case you may have missed an interview or maybe you want to hear one again. There's been some pretty awesome people uh, that we've had on that you might want to hear again. You can go. You can do that by going to outsetmagazine.com slash podcast. Click on the name of my podcast, obviously, or you can search for this podcast on iTunes, the Stephen Perkins program. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe to our other Outset podcast. Before I introduce my guests this week, I want to tell you about a product that I've been talking about every week because I love them uh, and, and I use them. I actually use them today. Today, Thursday, was my first day of the fall, new fall semester. And I use my Octopod to actually charge my phone um, in the middle of class. So that was really cool. And well, I guess I already told you, right? The product is Octopod. And you can, uh, if you go to octo-pod.com slash outset, you can view their line of portable charging solutions. I enjoy the Ion 3 because it's small, it's portable, it's powerful, charges my phone in an instant. If you need something uh, for a tablet or maybe you want to charge your tablet and your phone at the same time, they have those products as well. They also have a solar powered one. So if you're, you know, if you're into that eco-friendly thing, get the solar powered one. Maybe you hike. I don't know. I tried hiking the other week. That went terrible. But uh, maybe you're into it and then the solar powered one would be pretty cool. But here's the thing. You get 50% off your order if you use the promo code OUTSET at checkout. O-U-T-S-E-T will get you 50% off your order. Just go to octo-pod.com slash outset. Use the promo code OUTSET at checkout for 50% off your order. Check them out. All right, so on this week's program, I have actually someone who I have not known for very long. And what I mean by that is I've known him maybe for a week and a half. But he's incredible, and I think you're really going to enjoy this interview this week. His name is Quinn Reichard. He is the founder and, I guess, director of an organization called American Individualist. And it's an organization that only has one quote-unquote chapter in Virginia. And they host weekly discussions with teenagers and, and, and young people, right, millennials, um, in the community on anything from the issue of the day to something like Locke and, and, and Rousseau and these very classical texts. It's a very interesting intellectual organization that I hope you uh, you ultimately check out and get inspired by. Um, he is someone who I am proud to call a new friend, and we hope to have him on the podcast again soon. But in the meantime, take a listen to this interview with Quinn Reichard. I'm here with Quinn Reichard. He is the director, the founder of American Individualist and uh, an interesting person I'm talking to this week because most of my guests have been people who I've known for a while. I've known Quinn for a short while, um, but I'm excited to get into this conversation and talk about what he's doing and what his vision is for his organization. Quinn, how are you? I'm doing great, Stephen. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. It's great to have you on. Um, As I said, we've just kind of been starting to to get to know each other. Um, but from what I can tell already, you have an incredible organization. And I want you to tell us a little bit for people who don't know you, don't know your organization. Tell us who you are, what your organization is, and, and kind of what you guys do. 
Yeah, so my name is Quinn Reichard, and I'm the founder of American Individualists. Um, we are a political discussion group of mainly high schoolers located in Percival, Virginia. Our membership is about 25, and what's really unique about what we do is we get deep into political ideas, not just the issues, but the philosophy behind them, and try to encourage these kids to gain an understanding from an uh, overarching viewpoint. I have been doing this for about two years. I founded the organization in 2013, January, as a YAF chapter, that is Young Americans for Freedom. And we quickly realized that with the people we had in the group, we had a potential to do something much greater. Um, America, or, uh, Young Americans for Freedom is basically just all about activism. You get students together, you do projects such as the 9-11 Never Forget Project and put nearing 3,000 flags in a public place. We've done that every year, and it's a wonderful project. And there are other activism opportunities through that organization, but we realized that to understand why we're doing these activities, we have to back up and get into the source material. Um, what kind of material am I talking about? I'm talking about going all the way back to John Locke and before, reading this type of stuff, discussing it, and debating it. Now, when you talk about this discussion, because I think you make a good point, there's activism, there's the discussion that I feel doesn't happen um, a lot. And a lot of people would argue, well, that's just kind of how it has to be now with organizations that deal with young people you know, they're, they're more interested in the hands-on activism. They don't want to have an intellectual, philosophical conversation about political ideas and theories. And, and, and I'm curious to know, how has your group responded um, to those types of discussions? And what would you say to those people who say, well, you just, you can't have those discussions with people anymore? The answer is quite simple. That's just not true. Teens deserve much more intellectual respect than they are typically given in the public school system. Now, I am a homeschooler, and I was brought up in a setting where we talked about a lot of these greater ideas at home, and that was greatly beneficial for me, but I quickly realized as more and more public schoolers joined American Individualists that they're hungry to be treated with this this respect it's it's completely peer to peer we don't have any um any adult um management of the group which is which is really cool too we take these ideas once we've formed them and we do activism as well we did, we never dropped that right. uh, we we still get involved too so now um whenever you ho i mean how do you I'm trying to get the visual of one of these meetings. How do you bring up these new materials? What is the discussion like? What's the format of the discussion? All right. So at about 5 o'clock on a Monday afternoon, it, we come in, and we have a pretty good format. We start with a prayer, say the Pledge of Allegiance, and then we get to chapter business. And then we have a designated discussion leader of that meeting who will have what I like to call salient questions prepared, you know, questions that are understandable and can be um, easily discussed 
an example of which this past week was, does the United States have a moral obligation to intervene on the behalf of the security of foreign nations? That's what we discussed. That's more of an issue-based question, but we did get deeply into um, different moral philosophies that could possibly play into um, stances people could take on that issue. Now, in, in, in this type of meeting, um, you know, do, do you find that, say, for a new member, is it, is it, is it, can it be overwhelming for them when, when you're talking about kind of these issues that can, that can really get deep and, and, and really heavy in terms of um, theory or philosophy? What is kind of the impact for a new member? Well, ultimately, somebody has to be interested in it sure. to learn. And people come in, and they're always pretty quiet in our discussions at first. They might come and listen to our debates, which we hold about bi-weekly. We'll have volunteer members, you know, actually have a formal debate. And some of them will eventually start to speak up more because they're thinking as a result of attending the meetings and then they start to participate others have been coming to the group for all our all our two years of existence and haven't spoke up much at all so it's you get a you get a variety but ultimately i i realize that people are coming to american individualists to learn in a in a peer-to-peer setting right now in terms of the vision for the organization right now you said you have about 25 members is there um, is is your mission to expand this organization to other cities, other states? I mean, what, what's the game plan there? The game plan is, yes, to expand. Ultimately, you can't have a good discussion with too many people, and we've kind right. of reached that cap right now. Right now, um, we're in the process, in fact, we have finished as of yesterday, in rewriting our group's constitution to include provisions for expanding other chapters. Um, This week I'm going to be a freshman at Hillsdale College, and I'm super excited about that. And one of my goals is next spring semester to start a Hillsdale College chapter of American Individualists. Yeah. Um, Do do you have any uh, any type of backing from other organizations? Do you have donors? I mean, what's the structure like? How do you keep it going? Well, right now, we don't have any money at all, and we don't need any, and I want to keep it that way. Hopefully, you know, if, 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 if we needed to, we might have to go that way, but I think that an organization with autonomous chapters, autonomous chapters, um, really needs to be monetarily independent. So all our money is handled through the members, and yes, we do have donors, but the fact is is that once you start forming a nonprofit corporation, you then put yourself under all these legal restrictions from the government, and as a group called American Individualists, that's, that's something we don't want to get into. Sure, that, that, that makes perfect sense. So going into 2016, I, I think your organization and, and what your mission there is great because what I can't stand more than anything else is an uninformed voter who proudly goes in that, into that voting booth, knowing really not where they stand, but having, you know, bringing really only their preconceived notions and voting without being informed on the issues and the history of these issues. So when we're looking at 
things like the 2016 election, right? We're going to have obviously a lot of people who are becoming eligible to vote, voting for the first time. How do you reach them with not just the base talking point of these ideas, these political ideas, but how do you actually educate a new voter and not only educate them, but then get them excited to become a participant in, in, in things like voting and, and, and elections? Well, I would answer with two parts to that. I would give you a two-part answer. Um, first off, when you're in, in any election, especially a Republican primary, youth aren't that interested, and so they have to realize why they should be. So what I would say is what we, are, what we do is we present those questions that make, make people think about why, um, why these elections matter. Once you get them thinking, I'll give you an example of, of one of those questions. For instance, um, for our public school students, that's paid for by the state government, subsidized by the federal government. How do you think your education is being affected, the content of your textbooks, by those elected in office? We, we ask these questions. Once you get somebody thinking, it's pretty simple. Um, your vote counts as a youth, obviously. Um, but to impress that fact upon them and get the youth going to the polls is, is challenging. And the way you, base, you do that is to just inspire a, a, a respect for our governmental system. I can go into more detail about what I believe to be the root cause of um, many of the problems in America today, if you want. Do you want me to? We'll, we'll, we'll do that in the second half. Okay. I'm, I'm curious, what do you think causes um, this type of anti-political behavior in a lot of people our age? Well, I would, I would say in one word, it's the education system. Sure. Does, does it bother you at all that, that textbook, um, that the content of textbooks is now becoming a politicized issue? Yeah, it does bother me. But I think it's unavoidable um, now that, or has been for a good while, um, government, a lot of government money is dependent sure. on certain compliance. It's going to be that way just by definition, and that's a problem with the system. Students have to be able to realize this is this is something I should question. I took AP government a couple years ago. The textbook they gave me was shocking. It had questions in it like why was the progressive evolution of government in the 1930s a good thing for America? Things like that being put into students textbooks are are presenting a very one-sided issue. And I think at some levels, they, um, they recognize that. And that kind of inspires this apathy. You know, they have all these different things blasting at them through the media. You have Fox News presenting a very different message as NBC or CNN. And those, when they hear that on their parents' TVs, they start to think, okay, I don't know what to think. And so they stop being interested at all. So, to summarize all that up, um, first off, show them that it matters, and we do that in our meetings. And second, 
inspire them to think for themselves. It's really, really simple. And when you give them that intellectual respect, they'll start to snowball from there. It's been amazing the changes I've seen in some members we've had over the course of two years. Right. So. If, you were a, uh, if you were a strategist for one of these candidates and the question they're trying to answer is how, what is a tangible way that we can tell or that we, that we can, a message, I guess, a tangible message that we could send to young voters to say, this is why conservative values are better for your future, for the country's future, than the progressive values. What is a way that they can actually get that message out? Because obviously they can't, they can't, you know, you don't have all of these American individuals chapters over the country, all over the country yet. They can't go into schools and, and teach a class. How would they do that? Well, I think if you're on a, if you're part of a campaign, you have pretty limited options and it's just through advertising. And so what they have to do is find the message that is almost the most shocking thing to get teens to look at it in the first place because you got to put yourself in their shoes think they're not even interested finally get them to look for 30 seconds and then you have to have a question that wants that gets them to want to learn more about conservative values conservative values are logical they're very logical and that's i think a big downfall of them um is that when people are trying to inspire young people to learn more, they don't address the emotional toll of all those poor people that need welfare, you know, all the liberal arguments, you know. So um, you have to find a way to emotionally attract the interest of, of the young person. And I think that... I haven't ever seen it successfully done yet. I can't offer you like a certain advertising campaign strategy that I could think of, you know. So fair enough. So if if someone wanted to to come up with a chapter like this, whether they're in high school or, or they're in college, what advice would you give to people who wanted to have this forum for them and their peers to talk openly, freely, intellectually about these pressing political and, uh, and social issues? Look for the good minds. Ultimately, the quality of any discussion group, whether it's a Harry Potter discussion group or a chapter of American Individualists, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rely on the good minds, the ones, the people that care at least enough to want to learn more. Sure. And if people want to learn more about the structure of your organization or just more about your organization, how could they do that? What are, what's the links? Well, we have www.americanindividualists.com as well as uh, Facebook and Twitter. Good deal. Well, we will come back in our second half. We're going to talk about some more, uh, some more general questions. We'll get to the biggest issue that you think is facing our country today. Quinn Reichert is my guest this week. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. It's Stephen here to tell you once more about Octopod. And Octopod has a line, a portable charging solution, so we'll make sure your phone and or tablet will never die again. You know, part of being an adult is like taking care of your things. And I say this as I'm sitting here staring at my broken iPhone screen. 
um, because I'm a really responsible adult. But the one thing that I don't let happen to my phone, because I'm a pretty decent technology parent, is I never let it die. I mean, I might let it die every once in a while. But the thing is, I don't have to. I no longer have an excuse to let my phone or tablet die because of these cool things called Octopods. I use their Ion 3. It is a small cylindrical charger that charges up my phone perfectly and it makes sure that I, I, I never run out of power again. And here's the cool thing for you, the listeners of this week's show, you can get them at 50% off their retail price if you go to octo-pod.com forward slash outset and use the promo code outset o-u-t-s-e-t at checkout that's going to get you 50 percent off your order and that's also going to get you a little portable device that makes sure your phone or tablet never dies again just go to octo-pod.com slash outset use the promo code outset for 50 percent off your order I'm back with Quinn Reichert of American Individualist uh, a new friend of mine who is doing incredible things and his organization. Quinn, we talked about in the first half, um, we were about to get into some some of the big issues facing our country today. What do you think those issues are? I think the biggest issue facing our country today is apathy of the young, of my generation. Sure. And I talk about the young people as if I'm not one. But I, I do it the same way. I, I you know. call them the youths. But that's that's arrogant of me, and I admit that. The thing is that we have to understand that the reason we're in so much debt is because in the 50s and 60s and 70s, there's um, nobody nobody took a stand against it because people didn't care. That's our greatest challenge is apathy. I would I would agree with you, and I think it's always interesting. Um, I always find it interesting to watch my friends who are either single issued people. They don't really care about the full spectrum, but, you know, they have their single issues, which is uh, which is fine in its own regard. But it's interesting to watch them not really take the time to talk about these issues, to learn about these issues. But then they get outraged if something happens that goes against their single issue or their very small group of issues. And uh, and, and they're not really sure um, they're not really sure what to do about it. And for me, the simple answer is you have to get involved um, in your government in some way, shape, or form? Well, I would say on that issue, um, the old cliche of, quote-unquote, getting involved can mean almost nothing, and it can mean so much at the same time. Um, students have to care, first off. They right. have to be inspired, and... Um, then once they start to, then they'll find a niche. For instance, I'm pretty good at writing. I like to write, so I re- I write some I write editorials um, that are distributed through American Individualists, and that's one way that I am able to get involved. Another way is that I'm I don't mind walking. I, I like taking walks, so I go out and I um, I'll do door knocking for candidates that I support. Right, and and you just have to find the thing that that is compatible with your strong suit. That makes perfect sense. Now, going into 2016, I'm curious, and I'm asking every guest this, because while it is too early, I think, to endorse anyone, certainly people have, but for me it's a little too early, who are your top picks for 2016? We have to find somebody who is electable. 
first and foremost, the principles and character of a man are hugely, hugely important. But politics is a game and always will be. The real intellectual drivers of the nation's system of government aren't, I don't think, the people in office. So therefore, we have to find the character that will best fit the people. Therefore, I think we have to have someone with experience. That eliminates a few people right there. For me, I'll just cut to the chase and say Governor Walker is my top pick for 2016 because governor is the closest thing I think you can get to president. And second off, I think he has a platform that, while it is more on the Tea Party side of the conservative spectrum, it's not so much so that he's not palatable to the average conservative. Furthermore, he has a bit of a record. He's made Wisconsin a uh, right-to-work state, and he's won a recall election. Many I think, times, yeah. I think that that is, I think that is, um, that, that makes him my top pick. My second top pick is Ben Carson. He cannot be a presidential candidate, but he can be an excellent vice presidential candidate. And that leads right into... Um, some other thoughts I have about how candidates can excite young voters, but he's a man who's not a politician. Essentially. Well, well, do you is Scott Walker the guy who can excite young voters? How is he doing that? I think Scott Walker is a very personable, per, uh, personable man. To excite young voters, you have to be somebody who doesn't seem super politiciany to make up a word. Sure, um, Jeb Bush. Forgive me for being negative, but I think Jeb Bush is a great example of somebody who's very politician-y. <laughs> oh, he's terrible, sure. So. So I, do, you, do you think the fact that he buys his suits at Kohl's connects with people, especially like a, a, a starving college student? Yeah, but I mean, Jimmy Carter wore a sweater in a time when sweaters were in fashion. That's just little symbols. Those are sure. little actions. What I think about how candidates can excite young voters best is by being completely honest. I can't emphasize that enough because... You're talking about politicians here, though, Quinn. I know, but that's the one thing. As I said, I would support Ben Carson for president if he, if he had experience. But that man, he, he does not have this attitude that... We're out to fix, you know, every single problem in the world. Young people need somebody who is seems practical and at the same time seems seems very real, as if as if that they can actually accomplish set goals and and actually get something done. It's something that <laughs> a lot of our politicians fail to do. Sure. So. When, when you look at the GOP as a whole, there's a lot of infighting going on right now. You have establishment uh, establishment candidates versus kind of the newer voices. You have people like Donald Trump who are making big waves and pushing a lot of the other candidates to say some dumb things. Do you see this as a real challenge? Because to me, when I look at the Democrat side, I see, okay, we have Joe Biden now possibly getting into the race. We have Bernie Sanders taking a lot of Hillary's steam. 
Hillary is becoming less viable by the day. Martin O'Malley and Lincoln Chafee aren't on anyone's register as viable candidates. So to me, I feel like the Republicans have some wiggle room to mess up a little bit, especially since we're more than a year out from the election. But what do you think of all this GOP infighting? And and, and do you think it's going to pose a significant threat to our chances of winning? I don't think it will necessarily um, mean that we'll lose the general election. But I do think it poses a threat to nominating a person of principle who actually will be a responsible president. And the reason I think that is because the people with the money aren't the people who are the good candidates, in my opinion. Right. Um, we're faced, as, a G, as, as the Republican Party, we're faced with, with, I think, the greatest challenge in the party's history. I think it's more divided now than it ever will be. I'd attempt to paint it such that there's the Tea Party-ish wing. There's the the people that are more uh, into uh, free, you know, true free market principles, actual reforms, and then there's the establishment wing, who's really I would call moderates, right between what was a Republican and what is a Democrat. And these two wings of the party are very well represented in our um, plethora of candidates that we saw at the debate. And what we have to do is once is somebody, I'm hoping Governor Walker, will be able to appeal to the independent slash establishment side of the party and get them to realize, okay, we need to just get get somebody nominated. We need to get somebody nominated who has a vision, is not just a career politician, and we need to move forward into 2016. We talk about bringing together kind of the more Tea Party side and the establishment side. I don't know if that's actually something that uh, the the way I see it, I, I, I think the establishment is not okay with anyone who has a foot in the Tea Party ring. The Tea Party is not okay with people who have a foot in the establishment ring. If you have someone who, as you can say, can relate to both wings, ultimately I'm not sure if, if when it comes down to the actual voting, if they're going to be a significant force and, and they're going to be able to get elected. I, I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Can, elected, can they elect, appease? Can they appease? Um, yes, I do believe so. And the reason I think so is because we at, I think, I think the intellectual roots of the establishment is actually more in line with, with the Tea Party than they, than they would care to admit. Think about what republicanism meant at the time of Reagan and such. Reagan, if you take him in a time machine and put him today, is pretty darn Tea Party, except for maybe his stance on Medicaid, but, you know, I don't agree with him on that anyway. So what people need to realize is that um, when, you're, when you're comparing the Republicans to Democrats of today, the Democrats are far, far, far more liberal than they were before. Um, I, I was just talking to a guy recently, and he was telling me, we need an independent. We have to have, uh, we have, to have somebody who's smack in the political center to win in 2016. And, and so he was going for Jeb Bush. And 
and I say, well, wait a minute. You've, you're thinking within a, a, a shift, a complete shift of the window. The one end of the spectrum in 1990, the liberal side, was far, far more conservative. So if you actually, I was telling the guy, if you actually want to go and find a candidate who's going to be a legitimate and genuine conservative, you have to go farther right than you did 20 years ago. Sure. And I think that um, obviously certain uh, more libertarian candidates are um, not electable. Um, but well, when I say libertarian, I mean more libertarian than others. Right. Um, I might suggest Rand Paul is not electable, unfortunately. Um, that is quite unfortunate. <laughs> I know. It's very unfortunate. Um, but I think that Governor Walker is not so Tea Party that he can't appeal to the to the moderates. Now, do you think this infighting is getting in, in the way of intelligent discussion? Because I see 2016 as a time when our primary focus should not be on a battle of personalities. It shouldn't be between candidates giving out other candidates phone numbers i think it should be about an honest discussion about why the progressive liberal policies of the past eight years have failed and why conservative values are the right values for this this next part um of 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 our american history and so do you think that the antics of all of this is getting in the way of that discussion Yes, it is. Um, I don't think we've ever, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the, the Republican Party has ever had so many candidates going into a primary before. I don't believe so. Um, and that fact alone contributes to a lot of the infighting. Even the people who are only getting, you know, one to three percent in the polls are are going at this full throttle and they all have a lot of social media following and and if you're a Republican and you're following all these people on social media, your your feed is being bombarded by all this crap. And it's it is definitely getting in the way. It's interesting that you said the progressive liberal policies of the past eight years because I would actually have to argue it's the progressive liberal policies of the last hundred years that we have to go back and understand haven't have all been contributing. George Bush was far, far better than Obama in terms of of responsibility and and national defense, but government spending went far up under his administration. I understand right. that's not all his fault, right. but there have been many Republican presidents that have been just as destructive that's as the point. Democratic presidents, and we have to remember that. So we have to be looking for the candidate who has um, <laughs> the most promises. I hate... It's so weird, you know, when you're, when you're talking about candidates, all you have to go on is promises. All you have to go on. So it really doesn't matter so much as we get somebody who seems to be committed to doing something about our government spending, doing something about our entitlement programs and the education system and the whole nine yards. It's wrong with the country. So I think that's a good point, and uh, I can't wait to hear your speech at the uh, the national convention because certainly that's <laughs> happening, right? Oh, golly. I, I, would, I would hope you're contacted soon about that. Well, tell us, uh, tell us where people can not just one more time find American individualists, but where they can also find you if they want to connect. 
Well, I'm on uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, but much more importantly, American Individualists is as well. You can find us at www.americanindividualists.com. Uh, Stephen, I thank you so much for your time, and my final message for today is this. There is hope for this country. I apologize for sounding negative in certain parts of this interview today. If we start to get into the mindset that the country is going downhill, that's when we're going to actually be irreversibly damaged. Right. Well, I, I, I think that your organization has a, has a positive message, um, and I thank you for coming on. Thanks so much, and, and we'll talk soon. I want to thank Quinn so much for being my guest on this week's edition of Stephen and Company. If you want to listen to the other episodes, find us on iTunes. While you're there, subscribe and give us a little rate and review. We definitely love to hear what you like about the show uh, and what you don't like about the show. Why not? Put it in the review. Put all the pros and cons. While you're there, you can also subscribe to our other Outset podcast. In the meantime, you can find Outset on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Outset Network. And on Twitter at Outset Magazine. You can find me on Twitter at Stephen underscore Perkins, Facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins, one word. Until we see each other again next week, take care.